Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. And they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, sometimes it's, it's really hard to obey it because it's, it's, it's not natural for us. Uh, there are many times that I think doing the other thing is, is more natural to us, doing the opposite. And Father, this is one of those cases where um, I struggle to really live this out and, and to be who you want me to be here in this church. Um, Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom into the word tonight. I pray that you'd give us understanding. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and that would fill our minds and that you would fill uh, our hearts with a willingness to obey and that you'd grip us and just reveal yourself to us. I I pray for our small groups tonight. Uh, Lord, it's kind of sad to me uh, to to finish up a semester. Uh, I pray that you'd give each group health, that you'd give them uh, a passion to love one another. And Lord, even though we're stopping meeting as, as a formal ministry, uh, I pray, God, I pray that there'd be lots of, of meals at, at Pizza Hut and, and barbecues and gatherings, Lord, where, where your people would, would press together to pray for each other and to encourage each other and to build each other up. God, I pray that it would happen all summer long. I pray for wisdom about ways to reach out to our neighbors and to, uh, to pull in more people into the body of Christ. Give us a passion for that, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kind of what you have in a big picture way as we look at Acts chapter 6 is you have uh, the, the church managing to grow through persecution, okay? So several of the chapters, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, they, they heavily emphasize that the, the, the Word of God could not be stopped by persecution. So we had several stories of, of the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, them coming against the church saying, look, you better not ever speak in this way again. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. If you do, we're going to throw you in jail. If you do, we're going to hurt you. If you do, we're going to do what to, to, to you what we did to Jesus. And we saw last week that, that man, the church rallied together. They prayed. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. They said, God, you know, just give us boldness. Don't let us cave in here. Give us boldness to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And and, and he does. Uh, He does. He answers that prayer and the church pushes right through persecution. Okay. So that there was kind of the first threat. Now this morning was the second threat. Okay. The second threat came from within corruption. Okay. Sin in the camp. All right. That probably was a more dangerous threat even than the first one. 
And so this morning we saw how the church dealt with that, how, how there was sin in their midst and, and God pointed it out and, and, and they didn't do the easy thing. You know, the easy thing for Peter to do this morning would have been like, hey, you know what? These guys are great givers. I mean, listen, if you sell a piece of property and you give any of it to the church, hey, I'm all for you, right? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. And the easy thing for Peter would have been just say, you know, let's just leave these guys alone. Let's pray for them. Let's encourage them. Let's, let, let's just try to get together with them. But no, Peter does the hard thing. He confronts them. Uh, he, he, he does the will of God. And they, they, they squelch it. And great fear comes upon the, the church because of the holiness that, that, that comes about through that church discipline. And so, so they've, they, they, they've skirted around persecution. They've overcome corruption. And now the third threat that hits the church here is here in Acts chapter 6. And what we could call it is just basically a form of, of dissension or disunity. Okay? Uh, wow. How many churches today do you know who are ineffective because of this? Because of disunity or dissension in the ranks, dissension within the body of Christ? Um, the culprit of disunity most of the time, most of the time, is feelings of neglect. Okay? When you think about uh, disunity in a church, when you think about everybody not being on the same page and there being a group here and a group here and a group here, most of the time that comes from, from feelings of, of not, being, not being loved in some way or another. Okay? Now, it could be, hey, I don't feel like we get heard. I don't think, feel like we get included. I don't feel like we get cared for. And, and, and so that's, that's usually the way that happens in the church. There's one group that says, you know what? You know, we're, no, there, nobody's listening to us. And nobody's doing what we want to do. And, and no, nobody's, nobody's including us. And so we're on the outs. And so they begin to kind of draw lines and say, look, you know, this group over here, they, they always get listened to and they always get cared for and they always get ministered to. And we're in this group over here that doesn't. And so all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're not one of us and we're not one of you. And, and so disunity begins. And that's exactly what happened in, in, in the church uh, here in Acts chapter 6. If you'll notice, there's two groups mentioned right away. It says, in those days, the disciples were increasing in number and a complaint uh, arose by the Hellenist against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So all of a sudden you got two groups. You got you got Hellenist widows and you got Hebrew widows, okay? Now Hellenist was somebody who was not a Jew uh, by, by, by culture or by, by birth. And so they, they were Greeks who were uh, probably, probably actually they were proselytes. They, they were Jewish by religion, but not Jewish by culture. Okay, so you got kind of Greek, uh, Greek Jews or Greek Christians now, and, and then you got Hebrew Christians. So all of a sudden, there's two groups in the church. Now, the immediate question that comes to my mind is, whoa, 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 whoa! What? Why are there even two groups? I mean, why would the Bible even say that? Because aren't they all Christians? They are. You know, aren't they all filled with the Spirit of God? They are. They're, these are the, the Bible's talking about born again believers here in the body of Christ. And so, why would why would the Bible point out two groups of people? You know, aren't they all one in Jesus Christ? Aren't they all baptized into Christ? Aren't they all, uh, you know, the church? Yes, yes, yes. And so why would, the, why, why would the Bible make a distinction between these two groups of people? Okay, well, he, here's the deal. There is only one group of Christians, okay? There, there's not two different, you know, there's not many different types of Christians. only one type of Christian. But the reality is, is there are different groups of people in every church. That's just true. Is it not? That's just true. Uh, why? Because people are different, okay? Let, let, let me give you an obvious one, okay? There are preschoolers in a church, and there are senior adults in a church, okay? Now, that's now not wrong. Uh, it's not right. It, it's, just, it's just the fact of the matter. Uh, th- there's preschoolers, and there's senior adults. Brian, it seems like I'm really loud. Am I really loud? It seems like I am. More so than this morning. No. Okay, Drew says no. No, okay. Um, 
So, so, so that, that's, not, that's not a wrong thing. It, ju- it just exists. And, and, and with those two groups of people, there are different needs, okay? And, and there are different interests. I can guarantee you none of, the preschools at Lincoln, none of the preschool kids at Lincoln Avenue were at all interested in the joy ministry trip to Canadian Texas on Friday. You know? I, I, I can't. Did you take any? I, I didn't go past Chris. I, I don't think you guys took any, did you? And, and you know why you didn't take any? Because you intentionally scheduled it when those preschoolers could not go. You scheduled it during school. You had no car seats. You completely left them out. Man, I'm ashamed. I didn't hear it. Probably didn't want to. All right. You, you know why? Because you know why we got different. We got different groups in our church, don't we? we got preschoolers, we got senior adults. Those are two different groups. And you know what? Those groups have different needs. Uh, you know, I, I, could almost, I could also say if we go the other direction, I bet you there's not many of our senior adults that, that are really that interested or really care that much about whether we play kickball or, or Lions and Christians on Wednesday night, okay, in, in recreation time. You know, they're probably just not that interested. Why? Because those are two different groups of people, and we minister to them in different ways, okay? So uh, the six-year-old that's come to Jesus Christ and is born again at Lincoln Avenue, is he as much a Christian as the senior adult who's born again? Yeah, they're both. Christians are both filled with the Spirit of God. God has a plan for them, but but they're but they're two different groups of people, right? And they're they're they're, they're two different. Now another obvious one: we've got men and women in the church, right? And we have we have unique ministries for women. We have unique ministries for men in the church. You know, here in a, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a men's retreat at Falls Creek, and we're taking a whole bunch of guys down. You know, you may be a lady, you may want to go. No, you can't go. You know, I'm sorry, you can't go. It's awkward. It'd be silly, and and you need to stay home. Okay, I mean, I mean, there's just different. There's different ministries for different groups of people. All right, now obviously, I've 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 uh, I've, I've I've mentioned some obvious ones, okay? Now, I'm not going to mention others, but, you know, if we're honest, there's other groups in the church as well, right? You know, people that like this and people that like that. People that are drawn to this activity, people that are drawn to this activity. You know, people that are more musically minded, people that are more theologically minded, people that are more recreationally minded. People, I mean, that's, that's just the case. There's different groups of people in every church. And, and, and just the same here in, in the Jerusalem church, there were different groups of people based on, on basically culture, okay? So they're all Christians, but there's some Christians that are, that are Hellenistic. They're Greek in, in culture and, and, and in origin, and there's others that are Hebrew. And, and so what does that mean? It means they celebrate holidays differently. That means they eat probably different food. That means they have a different core language. They probably all spoke to some degree Koine Greek, but, but the Hebrews would, would probably have spoken Hebrew or Amaric, and, and the Greek, the Hellenists, probably didn't. And, and so there's a language barrier. And we have that here in Woodward, don't we? You know, there's, there's times where um, I sat at soccer yesterday, and I sat by two ladies who spoke Spanish the whole time during the soccer man, match. I couldn't understand them. I didn't know if they were talking about me or the match or what, you know, but I, I couldn't understand them. I couldn't join in the conversation. So I didn't speak the language, you know, and so it, it wasn't that there was, you know, we came and chose up sides, you know, it's simply that they spoke a different language than I did. And so automatically they're, they're kind of a group and I'm kind of a group or the rest of us were kind of a group. And, and so that, that's just the reality. It's reality in the world. It's reality in church. And it was reality in, in the Jerusalem church uh, in Acts chapter six. So there's Hellenistic widows um, and there's Hebrew widows, okay? And the Hellenistic widows felt neglected, okay? Now, what did they feel neglected? They felt neglected in practical, physical ministry, okay? What does that mean? In this day and age, widows often didn't have a way to 
to provide for themselves. There wasn't a social security program. There wasn't a retirement program. So if all your family happened to die, if your husband died and you didn't have any children or your son died, you know, a lot of times you had no way to provide for yourself and, and you were dependent upon your church. Okay. And so there were, there were a lot, and you can imagine 5,000 people in a church. How many widows are there? You know, uh, I mean, we've got, I don't know, 100 people here tonight. And there, there's, there's quite a few widows even among us tonight. Well, can you imagine a church of 5,000? How many widows there's going to be? So, so this, is a, this is a pretty good, big group of people. And the Hellenist widows feel like they're being neglected. They're, they're, they're being neglected in financial resources, in food and, and housing, and just their physical needs being, being met. Now, why? Okay, why? This is the early church, okay? They don't have a goofball pastor named Pastor Jason, all right? They got the Apostle Peter, okay? They've got John. They, 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 they've, got, they've got the guys that were with Jesus. These guys are on the ball, okay? They're not like me. They're, they're, they're on the ball. And so, so why is this happening in the church? Why are they being neglected? Well, first of all, is it intentional? Absolutely not. We can see by how they handled this crisis, it was not intentional that they were being neglected. So what happened? Well, a couple things here. Number one, growth. Okay, if you'll notice how this begins. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. I don't think that's an accident that Luke includes that. They're growing. And whenever you grow, it's hard to keep up with everybody. Amen? Does that mean we want to stop growing? Absolutely not. Uh, not, if, not unless we want to disobey our Lord. Okay? We want to grow, but we also have to understand that when we grow, it's difficult to keep up with everybody. It's difficult to meet the needs. It's difficult to, to build relationships, to continue to add small groups. I was praying this afternoon. You know, small groups are ending tonight, and I'm already praying. I pray this afternoon, God, we need two more, at least two more by fall. You know, I'm already thinking that, you know. If we're, if we're going to keep up, if we're, gonna, we're not even keeping up. Two more wouldn't keep up, but two more would help, you know. We, 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 we need two more, God. Well, just, just to manage people being in a group and building friendships. And so growth, growth makes it difficult to meet needs. Number two, visibility, okay? Visibility probably played a part. It's interesting that, that all the disciples are who? They're all Hebrews, right? They're, they're all Jewish in origin, okay? But who's getting neglected? The Hellenists. Why? Well, I don't think it was intentional, but probably... They're not on their radar screen, right? Probably the apostles are more connected. The church is more connected to the Hebrew culture than they are the Hellenistic culture. And so they just don't see it probably, you know? Right now, here's the thing about my ministry right now. Right now, I know, I know a lot about what goes on in the student ministry and the children's ministry. Why do I know that? It's not just because I'm the pastor, but I've got two students in, in, the, in the youth ministry and I have three students in the children's ministry. And so I pretty much, I'm pretty much connected. I know what's going on. I know what Brother Andrew's doing, not just because we're pastors and we talk in staff meeting, but I know what, what we're doing because my kids are doing it. You know, I, I know what the kids are doing in Team Kid. I know who my kids' teachers are. I know how that's going. I know whether they're doing a good job or not because I'm, uh, it's visible to me. Okay, now there's going to come a day, all right, when Em and I don't have any kids at home. Let's just go ahead and sing right now. Hallelujah. Now, I mean, that's going to come. I don't know if it will or not. Maybe we won't live that long or maybe Jesus will come back. But it might come where we don't have any kids at home. And you know what? I probably won't know what's going on in the student ministry as thoroughly. And I'll still probably meet with Brother Andrew, you know, and we'll probably still talk about it. And, and we'll probably still plan. I'll probably still go to Falls Creek. But on a day-to-day basis, it's not going to be as visible. Why? Because I won't have that connection. And in the same way, these guys probably didn't have as much of a connection with the Hellenistic widows. And so, hey, that's just true. That's just true for everybody, you know. 
If you have, if you have a pastor who's a senior adult, that guy's probably going to know what's going on in the senior adult ministry a whole lot better than if you have a pastor that's 20 years old, right? I mean, that's just true. Um, that's just true. So number two, visibility. And number three, inevitability, okay? So, so we've, we've got three things here that affect why needs don't get met. Growth, visibility, and inevitability, okay? Now, what do I mean by inevitability? Well, the church is not perfect. We know that, don't we? We're not perfect. We're all sinners. We, we all miss the mark. We all don't see what we ought to see sometimes. We all don't listen to the promptings of the Lord as we ought to. There are times where we don't give of, of ourselves as we ought to. There's times where we miss opportunities. There's times when we don't help when we ought to help. There's times when we get distracted with other stuff. There's times where we're not on our game spiritually. That's just the reality. Now, prayerfully, people are patient. I hope people at Lincoln Avenue are patient. And I hope we have a spirit of forbearing. And I hope we have a spirit that says, you know what? I'll, I'll allow my church family to let me down from time to time. I understand that's going to happen. I understand not everybody's always going to be there for me. I understand sometimes, you know, somebody's going to tell me something and it's, it's not the best advice, you know, and I, I'm gonna, I, I know sometimes someone's not going to pray for me when they probably should have prayed for me. I just understand that and I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be forbearing. I'm going to show kindness. Why? Because we're all sinners and it's inevitable that we're going to let each other down. And so those are three reasons that I think probably brought about the neglect that we see here in Acts chapter 6. So there's, 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 not, there's, a, there's a need not being met in the early church. Now what happens? Well, that causes hurt feelings in the Hellenists, which causes a division in the church. All right, all of a sudden the Hellenist widows are saying, okay, we're not like the Hebrew widows, and we don't get as much attention paid to us. We, we don't, we, the food's not delivered like it is to them. You know, we're, our financial needs are not being met like theirs. And so there's, there's, a, there's a division which is super dangerous to the church, okay? If that thing would have set, set root in the Jerusalem church, and if that would not have been solved, man, that would have been very, 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 very catastrophic to the early church's ministry. So the apostles set out to solve the issue. So how are you going to solve this issue? How are you going to solve an issue when you've got a group of people whose needs are not being met? I have an idea about how to solve it. But let me tell you, it's wrong. That, that really hit me today that I would have done the wrong thing here. I'm glad I'm not an apostle because I'd have blown it, you know. I, I really, I would have done the exact wrong thing here. I know myself. Now, the Spirit of the Lord could have changed me. He could, he could have intervened, smacked me around, changed my course. But based on my personality and my track record, I would have done the wrong thing. Now, now what, 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 is, what is the wrong thing here? Well, the wrong thing would have been to step in and, and achieve unity by the apostles handling this. You, you know what I would have done? I'd have said, man, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Chris, we, we, need, we need to minister to this group. This group, I just found out this morning, you know, I heard from them. They're really disgruntled and they're, they're upset and they feel like we don't love them. So tomorrow morning, I want you to be at their house, you know, and we're, we're going we're to get the, the, the van. We're going to do Meals on Wheels tomorrow, you know, cancel, cancel staff meeting. You guys don't, don't put anything on your schedule because tomorrow we're going and the three of us, we're going to handle this deal, you know, because it's not, you know, we, we left it in Tony's hands and he's blown it for some reason, you know. And so we got to step in and handle this deal. That's what I would have done. I mean, I really would have done. And probably those of you who know me, that, that, you know that that's the truth. That's what I would have done. I would say, I'm going to handle this deal myself, and we're going to go make sure these people know that we love them. Okay? Now, that option was on the table. You know how I know that option was on the table? Because they shoot it down. Look in verse 2. 
Okay, so the problem is in verse 1. And then the next verse says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, why do they say that? The only reason they say that is because someone suggested it, didn't they? I mean, that's the only reason for them to say that. I mean, the only reason for them to say, look, okay, the solution is not this is because someone said this is a solution. And so whether some of the apostles or whether it came from them or whether it came from the church body, somebody said, hey, you guys need to handle this. You need to get over to the Hellenistic widow's house and you need to get this thing right. And and they said, no, that's not the right answer. Not only to say that it's not the right answer, listen to this. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, those are strong words, my friends. It's not right. I really grappled with that this afternoon in my office. It's not right? You know, what does that mean? Well, I don't think it means it's not ethical, okay? Because there's nothing morally wrong with the apostles going and meeting physical needs. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you can, I can show you lots of places in the Bible where it says that we are to be people who meet physical needs, you know? We're to be the kind of people in Matthew 24, Jesus said, or 25, Jesus said we're to be the kind of people who, who clothe the naked and feed the hungry and visit the sick in, in prison or, or at their house and visit the, the, the imprisoned. We're to be those people. We're to do it as we do to Jesus, Okay, And so it's not that, not that there's something morally wrong about that. But what the apostles are saying is that would cost too much. That's the only way I know to communicate that. Does that make sense? They're saying if, if we 12, if, if we leave what we're doing, praying and preaching the word, studying the Bible, and if we go handle this thing, that's going to cost the church too much. Now, what do I mean by that? Cost the church too much. Well, anytime a person does ministry, there's a cost involved, right? We all know that. You know, Jeff Wales comes up here and fixes our plumbing like he does on a regular basis. Man, our, our toilet over in the, the other building, it had a severe problem last week. It was, it was so hard to flush, you had to put both hands on it and lean into it, you know? And, and finally, we busted the, the little deal off. I'm just telling you this because this is important stuff. We busted the deal off. And, and so the only way we could flush it was by taking the lid off and pulling that up. You know, I took Haven in there last week. This is when I finally called Jeff. I took Haven in there. I took the lid off and, and she went and you went to the bathroom and, you know, I had her standing there. I took it off to flush it. And when I had to pull up so hard that when it finally gave way, the thing exploded with water, went all over Haven. You know, I mean, really, she's like, dad, she's all drenched with toilet water. This is in the back of the bowl, not in the bowl, you know. I called Jeff and I said, man, I don't know what the deal is, but we got problems here. You know? So Jeff comes up and he fixes it, okay? Now, for Jeff to come up and do ministry, that cost somebody, didn't it? You know who it costs? Teresa. <laughs> Teresa has less money today because we can flush our toilet, okay? Because you know what Jeff would have been doing? He, he, he would have been, been doing somebody else's plumbing that paid for it, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. Those guys that came up and worked all week and nights, you know, doing electrical work in here to get this thing ready, that costs. I mean, it costs somebody something. They're not at home mowing their lawn or or fixing their own stuff or with their family or, I mean, that costs. Ministry always costs, okay? If you take a Sunday school class, if you take a teen kid class, if you drive a bus, you know, that's going to cost something. 
Sometimes the cost is minor. Sometimes it just means you won't be at home watching TV or you won't be eating with your wife or spouse, whatever. You know, sometimes the cost is not as much. Sometimes it's greater. It just depends on, on how much time is involved. But there's always a cost to ministry, okay? And the cost to the disciples or the, to the apostles pulling away from the word and pulling away from prayer and devoting their, their time and attention to, to getting these widows fed was too great. They, they said, look, this is too great of a cost, all right? Now, now you're thinking, well, you know, again, you got to put this in big church size, okay? Would this be a big deal for us? Probably not, you know? Uh, we, we, we could probably feed the widows pretty quickly in our church, uh, run around, we get Sonic burgers, something like that, and, you know, we just take them around and feed them. We could probably whip that out in the morning, okay? But when you're talking about 5,000 people, you're talking about this, this, is, this is a job that's going to demand a lot of their week, isn't it? A lot of their week. And, and so what they're saying is, look, there's going to be too much of a cost to the church that, that our time will be taken away from prayer and Bible study, from preaching the word and praying for the people of God. Now, this is a difficult principle for us to get our heads around, but, but, but stay with me here. It, it would demand that, va- that we value, okay, to, to understand the way they're thinking demands that we value spiritual work above the urgent, Man, I'll tell you what, I know we're talking about church, but you grab that principle and you put that in your own life, okay? For just a second, apply that to your own life, that we value spiritual work above the urgent. You see, here's how my mind would work. My mind would work that logic says, look, making sure Mrs. Helen, Helena's widow and her friends are not angry with the church, that, that's important. We need to go handle that now. Why? Because if we don't handle that, Bad things are going to happen, right? Bad things are going to happen. Uh, and, and if I don't study or pray, it's okay, right? I don't know that if you guys knew this or not. I can probably wing it most of the time. And you probably wouldn't. You probably would know maybe. You'd say, oh, I wasn't a very good sermon. But nothing catastrophic would happen. You know, if I stand up here and just wing it, and I've not studied a whole lot, and I've not prayed a whole lot, you know, you'll probably be bored, but you're bored a lot probably, you know, and you'll walk out of here and you probably won't know, right? And, and so logic would say, look, okay, if you don't study and pray, nothing really bad's going to happen. But if you don't get those widows fed, have you seen widows when they're angry? That's a bad deal. That's a bad deal. Church, church would be bad off, okay? You see, there's an immediate return to handling the urgent, isn't there? There's immediate return. To hand, you know about that in your life. So, so the question is, which will really benefit the church more? Peter dishing out enchiladas or Peter praying in his office? Okay, now again, that's tough. Why? Enchilada is practical, right? People put enchilada on their plate. They're thankful. Man, Peter, you are a great pastor. Man, he comes, serves us enchiladas. Man, it's a great guy. Give him a raise, you know? We're praying in his office. Nobody knows what is he doing in his office? You ever wonder that? Are those guys just watching YouTube videos? Really? I mean, that's kind of the way thinking goes sometimes, isn't it? We desperately need the Holy Spirit. Look, if, if we're going to survive as a church, we got to have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We, and, the, and this Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Okay? Hearing comes through the Word of Christ. Faith comes through the Word of Christ. God, God has anointed His Word to bring about faith in the people of God. First Timothy, listen to this. Chapter 4, verses 11 uh, through 15. Listen, listen to Timothy, or I'm sorry, to Paul talk to a young pastor here. 
He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity until I come. Devote yourself. Listen, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gift of preaching, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know what Paul says? I mean, he says, you've got to give yourself to the Word of God. You've got to give yourself to teaching. You've got to persist in this. You've got to watch this. You've got to keep an eye on this. This is what your life's got to be about. Why does he say that to a pastor? Because without the Word of God, all you've got is people serving enchiladas. Now, that's a good thing. You serve enchiladas in Jesus' name. That's an awesome thing. People are ministered to. But if the Word of God is neglected, if the spiritual vine work of the church is neglected, eventually we suffer. Okay, because it's through the word of God that hearts are changed. It's through the word of God that sin is put to death. It's through the word of God that servants are developed. It's through the word of God that people know God and find joy in him and develop hearts of love toward one another. And and folks, we cannot neglect that ministry. What, what, What the church sets for us here is, look, the most important thing is that we are people of the book and that we are people of prayer. That's gotta be first. And if I'm preaching to anybody, I'm preaching to me. I don't know if you recognize that tonight, but it's really for me. I I, I mean, I got to do this. And this is a hard thing for me to do, to prioritize this in my life and say, this has got to be first, Jason. You can't rely on 14 years of sermons you've already developed and that you can get up and wing it. No, that's not going to work because eventually, eventually you're going to you're going to corrode from the inside. And the apostles knew that. In the short run, yeah, it might be great just to go handle this problem. But in the long run, it's going to hurt the ministry of the church. Now, now I believe there's a practical application for every Christian here. Whether you're a pastor, not a pastor, church leadership, not leadership. And, and here it is, okay? Here it is. You can't give up time in the word and prayer to get things done and that be a good investment. See, you're going to be faced with that in your own life, aren't you? You're going to be faced with that. You know, okay, I, I get up, I'm, I got a busy day. This is where you live, right? Do I got time for the Bible this morning? Do I got time to pray? Do I got time to pray for my kids? Or, or, man, the laundry needs done. I mean, it's a mountain. Nobody's got any clean stuff to wear. What do you do? Well, in the short run, get, getting the laundry done and getting the lawn mowed, you skirt around the crisis, don't you? But here's the reality. You don't do anything to make your soul or your family or your life stronger. And what, what about when your whole life begins to be handling the urgent? You see, one time, not much consequence, right? But how, how many of you feel like your life is the urgent all the time? Huh? That, doesn't that happen? All of a sudden, you're always in the urgent. So what happens if, if always your, your mode of operation is, is you do the urgent instead of the word of God in prayer? Pretty soon you end up with an empty cup. And you end up with no power. You end up with no changed life. So what is the solution? We're out of time here. Verse 3. Get some guys to handle this. Get some guys to handle this. Notice that they... I've got to come back. Because I've leaned heavily on the word and prayer. But notice what, what isn't also the solution. The solution is also not, hey, widows, buck up. Okay? That's not the solution. 
You, you see, some people read this and they're like, okay, man, we're going to be devoted to, to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And so, you know, you all just got to take care of yourself. That, no, not at all. Now, I've seen pastors make that mistake as well. If someone's dying at the hospital, he's, he's, he's studying for his sermon. Hey, somebody needs to be at the hospital. <laughs> right? And, and so the solution's not neglect the ministry, but the solution is, hey, raise up some people to help. Okay? Now, the apostles never got out of physical ministry, and nor will we. Okay? We're always going to be ministering. But you know, you know what the solution is? We need, we need more ministers. We need more carrying the load, don't we? We need more people out there meeting physical needs. And, and so what do they do? Well, they look for some guys, okay? They, all these guys have Greek names. Is that significant? I think it is. You, you know why? They picked guys who already have a connection. Isn't that cool? You know, when you're looking for people to meet a need, not just anybody will do. That, that's not true, okay? If, if you're looking for someone to work in the preschool department, please don't pick somebody that doesn't like kids, you know? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, really, sometimes we do dumb things like that. We're just like, well, you know, if you're willing, get in there, you know. No, you can't kick them, you know. I mean, it does, that, that doesn't make sense. So they pick all Hellenists. Why? Because the Hellenists are the ones that feel neglected. So they pick these Greek. Hey, there's six Greek guys. You guys, man, we're going we're gonna to empower you. We're going to train you. We're going to equip you to take care of this ministry. They pick guys who have good reputations. What does that mean? They got a track record of handling themselves well. They don't bring conflict. You know, when, when you look at somebody, you say, look, are, are they always in conflict? You know, do they bring conflict to the church? They're always at odds with somebody. Are they, are they always malcontent about something. Wait, you don't pick that guy. You pick someone who's got good reputation, a reputation of, of getting the job done, of, of, of having their personal spiritual life intact, of reflecting well upon the church. You pick somebody, what's the next one? Full of the Holy Spirit. You see that? These are in uh, verse 3. Of good reputation, full of the Spirit. How do you know if somebody's full of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do they have those things? Number two, there's two ways. Fruit of the Spirit. And number two, do they leak the Bible? Okay? Both those need to be present. The Bible coming out of them. How you know, why is that important? Why? Because how, 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 do we, how do we get filled with the Spirit? We drink lots of the Word of God. Okay? So they drink lots of the Word of God. A lot of the Word of God's coming out. So are the, fruit of the Spirit, lots of the Word of God. And then look, wisdom. What's, what's wisdom? Man, they, they solve problems well. They're guys you can, you can send somewhere and, man, they're, they're going to figure it out. They're going to solve the problem. They're going to apply the word of God to everyday situations of life. What happens? Well, verse 4, the apostles devote themselves to the word of God in prayer. Notice it comes back to that. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, here's, here's a cool thing. Does it work? I, I always, always like that. And if someone has a solution, I always want to ask, okay, did that work? Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It worked. I think it'll work for us, too. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us time together, just as a church, God, just to, to figure out what we're going to value and how we're going to solve problems. And, and God, I just pray. I pray for Pastor Chris. I pray for Pastor Andrew. I pray for myself. God, I pray that we'd be men who, who value prayer and the word above all. God, help us not to get, get distracted from that. Father, I pray for your help. I pray for all the, the dads in here. 
and the moms. I know, Father, that their life is urgent all the time. And I just pray, God, that they would not pull away from the prayer and the word in an attempt to meet an urgent need and, and neglect the spiritual needs of their family. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.